Imagine a fully scalable, all-risk-ready emergency care facility that serves as a hospital emergency department during daily operation and is optimized to handle the medical consequences of acts of terrorism, national disasters, and epidemics. Part of this concept exists today within the emergency room department at Washington Hospital Center, thanks to a team led by our guests today. Welcome to a special segment on disaster preparedness on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Dr. Mark Smith, Chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Washington Hospital Center and Director of the ER1 Institute. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about what Project ER1 is? I certainly can. I think the best way to understand it is uh, to give you a little historical context. So let me take you back in time. And we actually conceived this back in 1999. My colleague, Craig Theod, also an emergency physician at I, and I here at Washington Hospital Center. At that time, we made the following set of observations that one, the risk of terrorism was real. Two, the likely target cities were going to be New York and Washington. Three, If an event were to occur in Washington, D.C., Washington Hospital Center would be the major receiving facility for the casualties by virtue of, first of all, our size. Unlike most large cities that have two or three big hospitals. Washington, D.C. has only one. Washington Hospital Center is about is almost three times as large as any other hospital in the District of Columbia. Two, by virtue of our location, we're about one and a half miles from the U.S. capital. We're far enough away that we would, if an event were to occur downtown, we'd be left standing. We're close enough that we would be able to receive patients. And three, by virtue of our special capability, we are the busiest emergency department in the District of Columbia, the busiest trauma center. We run a five-helicopter, 3,500-mission-a-year helicopter medevac service, and we are the regional burn center. So by virtue of our our size, our location, and our specialized capability, we would be the major receiving facility, a responsibility that Craig Theod and I took very seriously. And so the fourth conclusion, which we reached, was that no one had really thought about how to design an emergency care center so it was optimized to manage the medical consequences of terrorism and emerging illness and natural disasters, and that was the project we set out to do. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the, the key designs are that you really need to incorporate to get a Project ER1 going. I think the best way to think about it is to think about three dimensions of design that enable you to respond better during these kind of high-consequence events. And those dimensions are capacity, capability, and protection. Capacity is the ability to go from 1x to 3x to 4x, 5x number of patients, and and the system keep working, not have, not to have catastrophic failure. Specialized capability is is the ability to handle highly contagious patients, highly contaminated patients that you may see in great numbers during such an event. And protection is the fact that the building keeps on standing and is functioning, even though it could be a target of a direct attack or could suffer collateral damage from an attack nearby, or you could have a major outage of, a, of one of the big utilities like water or power. Well, let's get into a little detail, a little more detail. Tell me about just the patient care rooms. That's the capacity issue. From, let's talk about it from that perspective. Our vision was to make the rooms slightly larger, 10, 15% larger than a typical emergency department room, which makes the room very comfortable for a patient and his or her family and friends, but makes it very easy for us to 
go from one patient to put two patients in that room. In fact, we could actually put three in that room. That's a scalability strategy to give us almost 3x scalability in situ in the room. We make our workspace, our central workspace, just a little bit wider, and that way we can put a fourth patient, a third or a fourth patient, right outside of the patient care room, especially if we open up the doors, and we have a configuration there that is very efficient for a nurse to manage because you have three or four patients sort of lined up. And so with just a small increment in size in terms of the total footprint, you've designed in scalability, and you're able to manage a virtually 4x number of patients just inside that space. We call that strategy elasticity, and that's sort of getting more patients into the same space, and then that's complemented by the principle of expansibility, where you recruit contiguous space and have it sort of pre-gridded in order to be able to convert it to patient care space. Mark, tell me a little bit about how you manage threat mitigation with a hospital of this size. You know, the first principle of emergency readiness is keep your staff safe and keep your facility functioning because if that that gets taken out, then you can be of no service, right? So we look at each of the types of threats that we would have and try to design it so that that threat is mitigated and contained and patients and staff are not susceptible. So let's take the infection, the contagion threat, the six CDC category A bioterror agents, the the acronym is BPAS, botulism, Ebola, plague, anthrax, smallpox, and tularemia. And I might add, we actually have a website, bpass.org, that has sort of really current information on that and many other emerging infectious illnesses. But a number of them, like plague and smallpox, are highly contagious. Let me just make sure our listenership understands the concept of a negative pressure isolation room. It's a room where you can make the, the pressure inside the room negative with respect to the surrounding space. So someone with a contagious illness, their microbes are contained within that room. And the the second piece of that is that 100% of the air in that room is vented to the outside, so there's no recirculation. A typical emergency department under ordinary circumstances has about 50 to 70% of the air that's recirculating, probably 8 to 10 air exchanges an hour. And a typical 30-bed emergency department, even to this day, when they design in the capability of negative pressure isolation rooms, it's typically one or two. Our philosophy is that every room should have that capability. You may not be utilizing it all the time because there is a certain added expense to the reconditioning of air if you're having 100% non-recirculation. But you want to have that capability to handle a large load of patients. And also the way you want to build your spaces is in a, in a kind of modular encapsulated way. So if you've got modules of 12 or 16 rooms and if you've got a large emergency department and have two, three, or four of those modules. Each module, then you want to be able to make negative with respect to the surrounding modules. So in terms of threat mitigation, you mitigate the threat of of contagious illness by putting patients who are suspected of being infectious or known to be infectious in that area. You can keep the rest of the emergency department functioning and you have a safe environment for care of those patients. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special segment on disaster preparedness on ReachMD XM157. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Smith, the chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Washington Hospital Center and director of the ER1 Institute. Mark, 
What's the Project ER1 demonstration facility that's at the hospital? Our emergency department at the Washington Hospital Center has, sees about 80,000 patients a year, and we were seeing those, treating those patients in about 29 patient care spaces. We were terribly undersized for the patient load that we were, we were managing. So we needed a quick expansion, and we actually were given some space that's contiguous to the, our current ED. We decided to take that space and to test out some of these ER1 concepts. So we actually built, it's now part of the emergency department, we call it the bridge to ER1 because ultimately we hope to be able to build a full ER1. And that bridge space has 10 rooms. We actually, because of our load, we actually configured those rooms at 12 by 17 feet to, to be configured for two patients almost all the time. But every room is a negative pressure isolation room. So we're, we're testing out the functionality of that. We actually included toilet and shower facilities in four of those rooms because we wanted to see would that be helpful in day-to-day operations. We know it would be, might, would be helpful if we have a highly contagious patients we need to keep there. We also are testing out, we're using it as a test bed for some of our other concepts. We didn't speak yet of some of the concepts of uh, minimizing surface contamination. We're testing out antimicrobial surface coatings that would be silver impregnated coating. Silver and copper have natural antimicrobial functionality. We're also testing out, in a partnership with DuPont, several of our walls are made out of Corian, very smooth. And one of our thoughts was, will a easily cleanable surface enable us to have a lower microbial colonization load? We're testing that out. We actually have using rubber, some rubber flooring, which is a rubber is also natural antimicrobial. And we've actually rigged up one of our rooms to be able to do an intake of vaporized hydrogen peroxide, which is actually uh, it's, um, made by Steris, and it's a room space sterilizer. It's really quite remarkable with a four to six hour dwell time. It essentially completely sterilizes the space and degrades to H2O and O2. Who funded this project? This was actually funded in part by the federal government. The Washington Hospital Center, you have to understand, is a very sort of unique and special special place. Every hospital is a medical care asset to our country. Large hospitals are public health and public safety assets. But Washington Hospital Center by virtue of its size, its location, and its specialized capability, we're really a national security asset. And we take that response, an awesome responsibility. We take it very seriously. I think the federal government has recognized the absolute centrality and the importance of our role if an event were to occur in in Washington, D.C. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you think about who responds to a major event like a terrorist attack or natural disaster, there's a traditional public safety triad of police, fire, and EMS. Uh, you could say it's really a, should be a quartet, police, fire, EMS, and hospitals. And I think it'd be fair to, to add public health and public works as other key components of the response coordinated by the emergency management agency. What's interesting, in that sextet or septet of, of organizations, only one is privately funded. Everything else is funded by the government. So I think the federal government recognized the importance of this, uh, this project for the whole nation, as well as recognized the special importance in Washington, D.C., and helped us with the construction costs. If this hospital or ER had existed in New Orleans during the Katrina disaster, do you think it would have had a better impact than we actually had? I wasn't there, so I'm always hesitant to comment on things that I don't have firsthand knowledge of. But the problems there were really systemic in terms of a space, and the problems were not one of contagion, but there were certainly issues of keeping facilities functioning during loss of utilities, power, and problems with flooding. So I think that with the right design, those could be mitigated. And last question, I want you to fast forward into the future. 20 years from now, do you think that 
every major city should have uh, a project ER1. And are there strategic plans to make these happen? I think there will be ER2s, ER3s, ER4s. I should say, though, that the ideas that we developed as a result of Project D1, we had two or three hundred, we had more than 300 design ideas. Some of these could be retrofit onto existing hospitals. My belief is that there need to be major nodal hub hospitals in each major geographic area that sort of have a concentration of expertise and interest in these domains. But we recognize that a response to these events is you've got to have a distributed network of, of institutions. And so my hope is that by showcasing and thinking about what we do in the extreme situation, we raise the tide for all the hospitals around, and everyone improves their capacity, their capability, and their, and their protection in case of a major event. Well, Dr. Mark Smith, Chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Washington Hospital Center and Director of the ER1 Institute, thank you very much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to a special segment on disaster preparedness on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We'd love to hear from you, so please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features all of our libraries of shows with on-demand podcasts. You can also reach us by phone now with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.